Good morning, everybody. Let me get set up here real quick. How are you guys doing today? How, sorry, how are you doing today? Okay, <laughs> that's, that's what I thought. It is so good to be here, to be in the house of God this morning. Um, I woke up, well, I woke up like all of you, feeling like what happened and why is it still the middle of the night while I'm awake now because of daylight savings time. But uh, then, then I got to church and I just felt good. I felt the presence of God. I felt excited to be in the house of the Lord. Who's excited to be in the house of the Lord today? Awesome. And here's the thing, too. Today, today's just going to be really good, okay? Like, worship was awesome. This sermon, this sermon's about to get really good. I can just feel it. I can just feel it. Like, get your hopes up. Um, so, yeah. How many of you guys enjoyed the beautiful weather this week? Oh, my gosh. Maybe that's it. Like, I finally got a little vitamin D. Who wore shorts at some point during this week? Okay. It's too early, but good for you. We're, we're, we're happy for you. All right. Let's dig in. Uh, if you have a Bible, go and open it up to John chapter 14. Today we are continuing in our series uh, that we have been calling I Am. And for the season of Lent, which is, a, uh, which is 40 days that lead up to uh, Good Friday and Easter Sunday, um, during this season we are actually, as a congregation, going through the seven I Am statements that Jesus makes in the Gospel of John. We kicked it off by talking about how Jesus is the good shepherd and how as the good shepherd, he fulfills our deep longing for um, good leadership. Then we moved into how Jesus says that he is the bread of life and how Jesus alone is the one who can satisfy us, the longings of our heart. Uh, Last week, we were in um, Jesus is the light of the world and how he satisfies the deep human longing that we have for enlightenment, for wisdom and understanding, for um, for revelation. And today we are looking at Jesus' statement uh, that he is the way, the truth, and the life in John chapter 14. And what we are doing in this series is we are basically just asking the question, who does Jesus say that he is? In a world where there's tons of opinions about who Jesus was and what he came to do, what does Jesus have to say about himself? And I'm excited to announce that next week we're going to have a special guest speaker, uh, Rose Sweatman and her husband, Rich. Uh, They are the regional overseers uh, for the whole Northwest region in the vineyard. And Rose and Rich are going to come, and Rose is going to preach about how Jesus says, I am the door. And then the following week, which is Palm Sunday, we get to have Wes and his glorious South African accent unpack for us how Jesus is the true vine. So you're not going to want to miss it. And then we'll finish out our series on Easter Sunday with Jesus' statement, I am the resurrection and the life. So let's dive in. Um, Go ahead and open your Bibles. Actually, we'll say we're going to start in John chapter 13, which is page 900, if you have one of the pew Bibles in front of you. And and as a little bit of, uh, of explanation before we read it, This is taking place the night that Jesus was going to be betrayed, just a few hours before he ends up being arrested in a garden, and he is in an upper room with his disciples. And John chapters 13 through 16 is one long teaching that we call the upper room discourse, where Jesus is sharing his last messages to his disciples uh, before he goes to the cross. And also, this is happening at a very specific meal. It's happening during a Passover Seder, which we're going to be celebrating um, in our individual homes here in a few weeks. Um, And so all that Jesus is unpacking in these chapters is loaded with Old Testament Jewish imagery from the story of the Exodus 
Um, so just keep that in mind as we read. Uh, we're going to begin John chapter 13, beginning in verse 36. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. So in this moment, the disciples are troubled. And most of their trouble is coming from these teachings that Jesus is giving in this, in this section. You see, their dearest friend and their hoped-for king was telling them that he was about to be executed and that all of them were about to abandon him. And, and even more so, they're like, well, how in the world can this king be executed? This is the guy that we're hoping will come and restore all of Israel. He can't die. They're feeling very troubled. And Jesus reassures them with this phrase. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And I think that if there was one phrase that we need to get as God's people during this season, after this last year that we have been through, it's this one. Don't let your hearts be troubled Believe in God, believe in me. Jesus encourages us to not let our hearts be troubled. More literally, this phrase is, don't let your hearts shudder. Don't let them shake and tremble. And what he's saying is that life is difficult and that we will sometimes face darkness just like everything around us is crumbling, but don't let your hearts be troubled. And then he, and then he says something really interesting in verse 2 of chapter 14. He says, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. And so Jesus gives us this image that has actually informed a lot of sort of popular theology in, uh, you know, in, in, in modern America. Um, and, uh, and he says, in my father's house, there are many rooms. And some of your translations might actually say, in my father's house are many mansions. And we commonly get these images of some kind of heavenly gated community that is line, that, that are these, these mansions that are along a, a golden street. And if you're really lucky, a golden cul-de-sac. And, uh, and then you just go up to the sky, you get this heavenly reward where you have a huge barbecue and a swimming pool, and it's awesome. How many of you have had that picture in your mind at some point? Yeah, yeah, totally, right? But here's the thing. If you read the Bible, it doesn't take much study in the Bible at all for that entire perspective to get blown up um, and to, to reveal that all of that is just simply rooted in the 21st century American dream. Uh, what we see here is that Jesus is doing something altogether different. Jesus is proposing to his people in an ancient Jewish way. This is actually him saying that I am going to take you for myself and you are going to become one with me as a husband and a wife. 
And what Jesus is doing here is he's tapping into a universal longing in the human heart, which is a longing for home, a longing for inclusion, a longing to belong somewhere. And, and, and what, he, what, we are, what he is tapping into is the fact that we are all filled with angst for this desire for something that constantly feels just out of reach, just beyond our fingertips. And the Bible tells us that this desire for something that's just out of reach is actually meant to draw us to God who alone can fulfill our deepest desires. I love how C.S. Lewis puts it in his famous book, Mere Christianity. He says, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. The, the deep longings in our heart are meant to point us beyond all of the things that we're reaching for. Here is what Lewis is saying, that if in our lifelong pursuit of satisfaction and we run through everything on the list that we assume could eventually satisfy the longing of our heart, whether it's money or influence or fame or success or comfort or sex or power or a thousand other things like it, and if none of these things ultimately end up satisfying that deep longing or provide our hearts with peace and rest or the, the, the feeling of home that we want, then maybe, just maybe, we were designed for something that is beyond all of those things. What he's saying here is not to become so disillusioned that we've been created with a longing that can never be filled. He's saying, have hope because you've been created with a longing that can be filled. It's just not going to be filled by what you think it will be filled by. In another one of C.S. Lewis's books, The Weight of Glory, he refers to this reality as the inconsolable longing of the human heart. And Jesus here is addressing this, the yearning for more. And and what we see here is the the disciples who are listening to him, these are men who have already pushed in all of their chips on Jesus. They've bet their entire lives on him being that fulfillment. They've left businesses. They've walked away from inheritances, succession plans, all to follow him. And their plan was that they would keep following this guy who keeps talking about a kingdom until he finally establishes this kingdom he's talking about, and then they would cash in and get everything that they ever dreamed about. But Jesus here is signaling to them that he is about to leave and that they're going to be all on their own, and they're kind of freaking out. This wasn't the plan. And so they're, they're saying that they need to know the way so that they can follow Jesus to where he is going. And in verse 5, we read this. Thomas said to him, you got to love Thomas. He's always asking such hard questions. Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. But Jesus, how do we get to where you're going? We don't even know where it is that you're going. We don't know the way. How do we get there? And Jesus responds with one of his most famous claims, I am the way and the truth and the life. And this claim that Jesus makes is one of the most troubling claims of Jesus to the rest of the world around us, but it is also one of the most reassuring claims that Jesus makes to his followers. 
It's reassuring to us who follow Jesus because Jesus is telling, him, telling us that we can follow him and that in following him, we will experience that sense of home that we long for. His answer is, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no one will find home or satisfaction except they follow me. So the first claim that Jesus makes, he says, I am the way, which is the, uh, the Greek word hodos. And it means the way to travel, but it also means a right way of living. And so it, what, what we see around us is that everyone is trying to figure out their own way. Everybody in the world that we encounter is trying to forge their own path up some kind of mountain of fulfillment, searching for the good life, specifically the good life for them. But the good news that Jesus announces is that we don't have to figure out the way on our own because God himself has already come to us in human form to, to walk beside us and show us the way into his kingdom. Jesus is offering all of us access to God through relationship with him. Here's what, we're, what, what we see. The only way into God's kingdom is by knowing the king. And, and when Jesus says that he is the way, he's not just pointing out a path for us. He's actually showing us what he is about to accomplish uh, on the cross. You see, there is a vast chasm between your current reality and the home that you are longing for. And this chasm is impossible for you or for me to bridge on our own strength, though every single one of us tries. We try through morality. We try through success by, you know, attaining to certain levels of, of business success or raising our kids the right way or if only I could get that marriage that I'm hoping for. And we're trying to bridge this vast chasm to receive the longing that we hope for. And the Bible tells us that we will never be able to bridge it because this chasm is rooted in our own sin, our own failure. And the Bible says that this sin that is in each and every one of us, it eternally separates us from our Father. But a few hours after Jesus announces that he is the way, he is going to the cross. And at the cross, he lays down his life for you and me, paying the penalty, the debt for our sins and bridging that divide so that we can have access to the Father and receive what we long for, eternal life. That Jesus, what we read in the Bible, Jesus takes upon himself each and every one of our sins and gives to us the gift of his righteousness so that we can live with the Father. Romans 6 says that the result of our sin, the rightful result of our sin is death, but that the gift that we receive through Jesus is eternal life. Jesus says, I am the way. I am going to the cross and I am making a way where there was no way before. Jesus doesn't just point us in the right direction and say, it's up there, keep walking. He says, no, I alone am the way to the Father. The access that you've been longing for is only accomplished through Jesus. It's about Jesus getting you home. And the home that you want is not success or more or more or more. It is communion with the creator who made you and loves you. The second thing that Jesus says how, are you guys still with me? Very quiet. Okay. The second thing that Jesus says, he says that I am the truth, the aletheia. 
And this word for truth, it's synonymous with the concept of reality. That it's, the, it's deeper than facts. It's deeper than physical evidence. It's the reality behind all of life. That Jesus is the revealed truth behind the cosmos. And Jesus is saying that he is the answer to all of the mysteries, all of the questions. Because everybody is trying to figure out the meaning behind life. What is this whole thing about? Is there more to life than this? And so we search out wisdom and guidance from personality tests or spiritual books or yogis or mentors or by pursuing all the things that we think will make us happy. And we're, what we're trying to look for is what is real? What is true? What, what can I put my feet on? And in the midst of our confusion, God, who possesses all knowledge and wisdom, he steps into our world to reveal himself and in so doing reveal all of the answers to the questions we're asking. Who better to show us how the world works than the one who designed it? He is the wisdom that holds all things together. You see, Jesus doesn't just tell us the truth. He says he is the truth. He is the interpretive key to everything. And as Christians, I know that 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 statement can sound way oversimplistic, doesn't it? Like the old joke is that if you ask any question in Sunday school, the answer is always Jesus. Um, We aren't so simplistic as to just sort of say that Jesus is the answer, Jesus is the answer to every single question. But what we believe is that the answer to every question ultimately finds its fulfillment in Jesus. Finally, Jesus says, I am the life, the zoe. I know we talked about this a few weeks ago, but in Greek, there are actually three main words that are used to describe life. Um, The first is bios, which refers to your biological life. It's your eating and your drinking and your sleeping and your sexuality. It is your lizard life, your base animal instincts, all the things that you need to survive. And then the second word in Greek that's used for life is psyche, which is sort of the the soul life. It's what distinguishes us from the animals. It's your thinking and your feeling part of your life. And then there's this word zoe, which has to do with spiritual life. It is the life that is beyond all of our regular life. And in the Bible, we actually read in in John chapter 3, Jesus says that flesh can only give birth to flesh and spirit can give birth to spirit. And so without Jesus, what, what the book of Ephesians in Ephesians 2 would say is that without Jesus, we are actually spiritually dead. We have no Zoe life within us. But through Jesus, he grants us all of the life that we have been designed to receive, that he alone can give 